You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Today's episode of Paranormal Pets is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at audiblepodcast.com forward slash paranormal pets. Over 75,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. It's 11 o'clock at night. It's dark. You're sitting in front of the mirror getting ready for bed. There's nobody else in the house. You see something move in the corner of your eye. You glance to your right, but you don't see anything. Another minute goes by, and you think you see movement again. So you slowly turn to your left, but again, the room is empty. You turn back around, and staring you face to face in the mirror is a cat. You jump back, because you don't have a cat, and there's no cat in the room. But there he is, staring at you in the mirror. Welcome to Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week, we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Now, step into the supernatural world of pets with your Paranormal Pets ghostly host, our ghost host. Hello, and welcome to Paranormal Pets. I'm your host, Brandy Stark, and we're actually going to continue a second part of what we started last episode. I do actually have a, a brief article on symbolic pet dreams, which I thought we'd go through, and then hopefully we'll finish up about dogs and death. Dogs as liminal beings and psychopomps and aids to the dead and scavengers of the dead and cleansers of the dead and everything else that they do for us. So we'll actually get started with that right after these commercial messages. Time for something really scary. A word from our sponsors. Paranormal pets will reappear before you can say Bigfoot. Don't run away. Hey, boy, how you doing? <coughs> what am I doing? <coughs> I'm creating your own life book. It's a website that's just for you. Remember that picture I took of you pulling off Lisa's bathing suit? <coughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Me too. I'm putting that awesome picture on your Lifebook page. We'll see what comments we get. And that great video we took of you standing on the table with your head inside the turkey? That's definitely going on there. <coughs> no, it's easy. It only took me two minutes to set up your page. I chose a great theme, and I can connect with millions of other pet parents. I can also create a memorial Lifebook. <coughs> no, not for Grandma, but we can make one for Fluffy. Remember her? People can create their own life book for their pets by going to PetLifeRadio.LivingYearsPets.com or they can sign up on the PetLife homepage. <coughs> Where's Lisa? She's outside by the pool. Hey, come back here! <coughs> create your own life book for your pet. PetLifeRadio.LivingYearsPets.com 
Hi, and welcome to the Family Pet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Colleen Safford. Each week, we'll focus on different topics, child pet safety, child pet training, just how to make an appropriate pet selection for your family. All of these things will be covered in each one of our episodes. So we hope that you will join us at the Family Pet on Pet Life Radio. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Did you hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host. And welcome back. This uh, afternoon, technically early evening, in uh, very warm and balmy Florida, uh, we're going to actually start off with a little article on symbolic pet dreams and what do they mean. Uh, this is by Courtney Litwin, and this was actually sent to me via an email. But if you are curious, you can actually read the article at http colon backslash backslash www.californiapsychics.com article backslash newsletter backslash 2169 backslash symbolic underscore pet underscore dreams dot ASPX. So, this is how it begins. Do you ever dream about your pet? Dreams about your dog, cat, horse, or iguana usually symbolize your ability to nurture yourself. After all, we take care of these beloved creatures, so in our dreams, they represent the vulnerable parts of ourselves that need to be cared for. Most important, pay attention to what happened to your pet in a dream. Is it in trouble? Are you trying to protect it from harm? If so, ask yourself if some vulnerable part of you is feeling threatened. Perhaps your job is stressful or you're having problems with your kid or partner that's taking its toll on your peace of mind. You probably need to take some time for yourself to recharge and get centered. In other words, nurture yourself. Get control. Dreaming about a pet can also reveal how disciplined you are. If your pet is running wild, check to see if you're undisciplined in some part of your life. Is your eating or drinking out of control? Are you falling behind in your bills because of spending sprees? Is your workspace a disaster? Animals are instinctual symbols, and you need to use your intellect to control, not eliminate your instincts if they're running your life. It's all about balance, after all. A dream. Sharon offers a great example of wayward instincts. She says she sometimes dreams of trying to catch her husky, Angie, who is running around loose. These dreams have baffled Sharon until she realized that she usually dreamed about her dog being loose when she overate the day before. The dreams are telling her that her instincts, symbolized by Angie, were out of control and causing her to binge on the wrong foods. Psychic Connection Perhaps the most intriguing kind of pet dreams are those that reveal our psychic connections to our pets. This is especially true if you dream of beloved animals that have died, because the souls of our animal companions can visit us in dreams. These dreams usually can be incredibly reassuring that our pets and the love we share with them do indeed live on in the afterlife. A dream. David tells of a lucid dream he had of his deceased Malamut, Shawnee, that is just as vivid now as he had dreamed years ago. At the time, David was devastated by the death of Shawnee from cancer. About a month after the loss, he had a psychic dream about his beloved dog that helped him heal his grief. In the middle of a regular dream, I suddenly realize I'm dreaming. My greatest desire is to visit Shawnee, so I lift off in a rush of flight, calling her name. A moment later, I land on a vast farm surrounded by mountains. 
Several other dogs are about, including one who looks like Shawnee's friend, Bo. Looking around, I see a man entering a farmhouse several yards away, but I don't see my dog. Then in the distance near the mountains, I see a small white speck running toward me. There she is. I joyfully throw my arms around her, and we walk together for a while. When we stop, I reach down and take her face in my hands and ask her why she had cancer. The dream fades before I receive an answer. I awaken, knowing this dream is a tremendous gift. Dreams about our pets can offer insight about our inner lives, including the need to nurture ourselves. And perhaps the most important thing, they remind us of the power of love, which never dies. I just thought that was a rather interesting take on pets and the paranormal because, indeed, part of the paranormal is actually the altered mind state, which includes dreams. So, with that having been done, we're actually going to continue a little bit about our discussion of dogs and death, as promised. And just to quickly try and recap what I did last time, basically what we talked about were the fact that dogs and humans have gotten along for thousands of years, approximately 12,000 BCE. Humans and dogs came together, and we do appear to get along quite well, primarily because we're both communicative, and we both have hierarchical structures, and possibly even common goals. Early humans, however, probably noticed that in addition to their benevolence, dogs do have a darker side. They are vicious hunters, particularly those directly descended from wolves, and they are also scavengers. They can smell death, and they will consume it, and as such, they fall into an elite ranking of animals that fall into what are called liminal state. Liminality basically means that you are in between two states of being. So in this particular instance, this would be the conditioned, or our world, and the unconditioned, or the supernatural world. So dogs actually act as gateways. We talked about how dogs actually might sense not only finding corpses, but how they might even cleanse the dead. So uh, essentially dogs in their scavenger role actually consume corpses that humans leave out because of some sort of taboo that's been broken. And the examples that I gave are from the Iliad, the Antigone, there we go, and also the Bible, in which instances of people who died untimely deaths remained unburied, and at least in two instances, these were people who did horrible things that were countercultural and counterproductive, other bodies were left out for dogs and scavenger birds. And so essentially what ends up happening is that these animals actually cleanse away the corpse. This is a literal manifestation of pollution. And in the old world, pollution was kind of like sin made manifest. Since God is everywhere, if you tick God off, uh, or God head off, essentially what happens is that life energy goes away. So if you had somebody who died of a taboo, this was quite a serious thing. Because this meant that you were not to uh, have contact with them because their pollution could become yours. So we also saw that dogs served as messengers. They delivered messages from the gods, usually about death. And then we also saw that dogs served as potential afterlife companions, that very early on in prehistoric times they were buried with the dead, and we're still not 100% sure as to why. But the theory is that essentially dogs had some sort of assistance to the other side. So as we move on, we have other stories of dogs. Uh, One of them comes from the Mahabharata, which basically describes a king and his five brothers and their joint wife, and that in and of itself is an entirely different story, and how they are traveling along to a great liminal state. Quite literally, they're going to heaven. They're looking for the kingdom of heaven. And as they go, a little dog tags along. And one by one, the king's brothers and his wife die until it's just the king and the dog, and they enter into heaven. 
Now, this is the uh, Hindi ideology. And so once they get into uh, heaven, King Yama, who's the king of death, shows up and says, you can't bring that dog in here. And the king argues so fervently for the dog that the king of death, King Yama, says, all right, you've won your argument. And the dog is allowed to come into heaven. The interesting thing is that the dog actually represents Dharma. Dharma is basically kind of your responsibility, duties. It's a a very complicated concept, but it follows you throughout your lifetime and helps to determine your afterlife. So I thought that was kind of an interesting little story. As we move on, we continue into ideologies of the otherworldly dog. This was a very interesting little thing that I learned, that Zoroastrian tradition, Zoroastrianism is a, a relatively small religion. I believe it's 122nd or something along that line of the world scale. It's very, very small. It actually developed in uh, Middle Persia was its peak, but it comes from the Middle East. It is sometimes looped in with the Western traditions, although it's not technically Abrahamic. And essentially, it actually has a book called the Zendavesta. The Avesta is basically the law. It's uh, a, a series of books very similar, perhaps, to the Torah. And within this ideology, the Zoroastrians, according to religious scholars, are perhaps the first to originate ideas of heaven and hell, externalized judgment from supernatural powers, and a system of ethics that are, are required uh, to a greater extent. Now, what I find very interesting is that in Zoroastrianism, there's a concept called chinwa. A soul is uh, essentially released from the body approximately four days after death. Again, Zoroastrianism has this great uh, sacred bird, which is the vulture, because what they do is they leave bodies up on funeral, on well, literally, uh, towers of silence, their, their beers. And the body is eaten by the vultures and thereby releases the soul. The soul actually sees essentially its judgment, sometimes the hand of God, you know. And um, with judgment, it will see a bridge called Chinwa, and this bridge connects this world to heaven. If the individual is judged well, this bridge will be a nice bridge. If it's not judged well, then the bridge will be as thin as the, the sword's edge, and the soul will fall off into hell. But by the Chinwa bridge, there is a dog who is a guardian and a helper of souls. So we actually have the dog here starting to transition from kind of a scary creature into one that's a little bit more positive. Uh, We also have dogs as literal guardians of the gates of the land of dead, uh, of the dead. And perhaps the most famous one is Cerebus, the Greek three-headed god. Technically, he was divine, so he's sort of a god. When we look at the Theogony by Hesiod, the description is of the birth of Cerebus, and she bore an unspeakable, unmanageable Cerebrus, the savage, the bronze-barking dog of Hades, 50-headed and powerful and without pity. I mean, what a great description. I love Hesiod. He's fun. But anyway, he's, he's just a little coarse, maybe a little bitter, a little harsh, but how can you not love those descriptions, right? So essentially, Cerebus, over time, appears to drop down to basically a three-headed dog. He has three heads, which is fairly interesting because in the West there is a Trinitarian aspect. Land, earth, underworld, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You know, we find beginning, middle, and end. First trimester, second trimester, third trimester. I mean, we find this Trinitarian aspect almost, I don't want to say commonly, but it's, it's quite active. So this dog has three heads and has basically perhaps lost its other 47 to a mane of snakes uh, around its neck. It has a serpentine tail. 
and it has the claws of a lion. Now, for those who don't know, snakes actually represent the afterworld as well because they shed their skin. And in shedding their skin, they reveal a brand new snake underneath. So to a certain degree, snakes were actually considered to be supernatural. Some ancient cultures actually believe they didn't die, at least not naturally. So, admittedly, uh, if I had any superpower, I think it would be rather fun to actually be able to shed my skin and have a whole new young me underneath that. Ah, well, we can keep dreaming, right? So, uh, we have Cerebus. And Cerebus is quite interesting because he is literally the liminal state. He is the embodiment of the in-between. He keeps the souls of the dead in the land of the dead and the living out. The only exceptions to people of the living who go into the underworld are basically going to be Odysseus, Hercules, and Orpheus. And they all had divine sanction, more or less. So I do find Cerebus to be a rather interesting creature because he actually represents the dog as the liminal. I mean, you cannot get a better embodiment of the dog in a liminal state than that. We do find a similar story with the Eskimo. Basically, uh, when, well, it's a long story, but the Inuit, actually, excuse me, uh, had this tale in which essentially when the people do some forms of sin. They do something that creates pollution. The goddess of the sea, or the sea spirit, refuses to release the food source animals. So she she actually created these animals from her fingers, and that's another long story. But she calls them home, and she locks them in her castle. And the people know that they're in trouble, because they have not done something, or they have done something they're not supposed to do. So either way, your food source is gone, you're going to die. So the shaman actually has this responsibility of doing chants. He actually does a community purging of sins in which people come up and they admit their sins. And he actually, according to some, will strip down to his boots and his mittens. And there is a special chant that he does uh, with the people. And he actually falls into what is known as the liminal state. He falls into the land of the in-between. As such, uh, it is his task to actually travel, and he, he goes what's along what's called the shaman's path, and he travels to the goddess's castle, and if he has to overcome you know, scaling walls and clashing rocks, interestingly enough, like the Odyssey, and he gets to the palace door, and at the door lies a great dog who chews on a human bone and growls at him. And it's the shaman's duty to kind of buck up a little bit, and to say, you know, gather his courage and remind you, you know, he is completely naked. This is a vicious dog chewing on a bone, uh, which is a human bone. Uh, but he literally steps over this dog and gets into the goddess's palace. And so literally, once again, the goddess represents that divine, unconditioned reality, the supernatural world. The dog is that threshold, uh, quite embodied. So as we move on, we do know that Celts, the Celtic folk, the Romans actually report how they would find uh, dogs sacrificed at wells, or at least dog skulls or dog skeletons in at least three places. And this is also interesting because not only are caves usually associated with the underworld, if you ever read Greek mythology, usually you have to go through some sort of cave, Orpheus does anyway, Persephone and the Eleusian mysteries would emerge from a cave, but wells are also entrances to the underworld. And so there is that possibility that, once again, dogs are acting as threshold barriers between this world and the next. So, you know, I was actually really rather surprised to find all of these different points in which dogs played such an important role. 
I'll tell you one more story, and then we'll we'll cut to commercial for a brief uh, moment. But I like this story. This comes from Tibet. And the story is that there's something called Castle Lake. And when the sun shines on Castle Lake in just the right way, you see a castle. I mean, how cool is that? Castle Lake. But at night, when the moon comes up, Castle Lake starts to produce horrible ghosts with fiery eyes that uh, you know hover over the surface. And if it's not fiery human ghosts, they will produce, this lake produces horrible fire dogs with fire coming from their eyes who go after any innocent traveler who walks by the lake. So Tibet has this great ghost story that not only integrates human spirits, perhaps trapped in the castle under the lake, I don't know, but also the dogs who go after the living, showing a little bit of that vicious cycle again with the dogs, but dogs as ghosts. So I just, uh, I don't know. I just find this absolutely fascinating. And I have to say that I truly hope that in the future I'll be able to kind of expand out on this. This is kind of a preliminary start. But I'd like to look into the role of other animals as supernatural boundaries because I think think this is a nice, rich vein of research. But we'll talk a little bit more about that after these commercial messages. Now, time for something really scary. A word from our sponsors. Paranormal pets will reappear before you can say Bigfoot. Don't run away. Hey, love to read, but just never seem to have enough time to sit in one place long enough? For all of us on-the-go people, Audible has the answer. Best-selling audiobooks for your iPod or MP3 player. For Pet Life Radio listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 14-day trial to give you a chance to check out their service. Choose from hundreds of today's bestsellers, including awesome pet books, such as Bad Dogs Have More Fun by Marley and Me author John Grogan, Love That Cat by Ingrid Newkirk, It's Okay to Miss the Bed on the First Jump, and Other Life Lessons I Learned from Dogs by Seinfeld's John O'Hurley, and many, many more. To download your free audiobook today, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash paranormal pets. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com forward slash paranormal pets. Will your dog have a bone to pick with you tomorrow? Is your cat planning a hissy fit? Follow the dog star to Pet Life Radio for Lucky Stars, our weekly pet horoscopes. Whether your retriever's a believer or your Pekingese disagrees, this is the place to find out what the stars hold for your favorite furry friend. So pull up a crystal ball every week with your host, international pet astrologer, and earth, fire, water, and air, Dale Lucky. Only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On PetLife Radio. PetLife Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Did you hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host. And welcome back to Paranormal Pets. We are actually down to the last little part of our commentary on dogs and death. 
We are moving into uh, the idea of canines and death. Let's see. I've got to think where we are. There we go. Literally, canines and death. Uh, one of my very favorite stories is that of Anubis, or Anubis, depending on how you want to say that, who is, of course, for my Egyptologists out there, uh, the jackal-headed god of the dead, to a certain extent. He actually is kind of the right-hand man to Osiris. The jackal-headed god is very interesting because the jackal in ancient Egypt was an animal that was observed digging. Now, jackals are kind of native to Egypt, so they're the dog derivative of that area. They would be seen digging in the sand, and of course, what else do we put in the sand? Well, we put the dead in the sand, and so very quickly they became known as basically psychopomps, traversers of the dead. Uh, Anubis is the Egyptian psychopomp. He basically takes the soul of the dead and leads it to Osiris. So he's got a very important job. Now, the Egyptian gods are slightly anthropomorphic, uh, although they do retain the animal head. But what I find very interesting about this is that uh, upon bringing the soul to Osiris, now both Anubis and Osiris, they're both wrapped in mummy bandages. So they're definitely related to death. But Anubis actually aids Osiris in taking the heart of the deceased and weighing it against the feather of truth. And if the heart is lighter than the feather, it gets to have an afterlife. If the heart is heavier than the feather, it's consumed and destroyed along with the soul. Now Anubis or Anubis eventually becomes very heavily assimilated with the Greek psychopomp, which is Hermes, or in the Roman uh, ideology, Mercury. So believe it or not, some of these minor gods you really have to watch out for because they are the ones that are going to take your soul. They're the ones who show up. As we move on, uh, we do see dogs appearing as supernatural beings. Uh, one of my very favorites is the story of, I think this is Lucian. No, I take that back. I'm sorry. It's Philostratus. There's a story of a daemon. Now, a daemon is kind of a negative spirit in the ancient Greek ideology, and it came to the land of the living, and it took on the form of an old man. But because of what it was, humankind very early on determined that it was an evil spirit, and they stoned it to death. However, when they removed the stones from the corpse, they discovered that the daemon had transformed into a dog. And so you get this aspect of this, you know, horrible evil spirit and the one thing I just did not have the room to go into and really this is another vein of research in and of itself but it's the black dogs the black dogs with the glowing eyes or the one-eyed Angus all of those are additionally fascinating topics to go into but I kind of had to keep this somewhat short we do find in the United States, uh, usually in the southeast, something called a plat-eye dog. The plat-eye dog is a large, usually shaggy gray dog with large blue eyes. The ideology probably comes from the West Indies, and basically the story is that a plat-eye is a spirit of a human who is not appropriately buried due to whatever circumstance. It could be that they're completely innocent, that they were killed and not buried. We don't know. It could be you know, that they were horrible people and their bodies were left out. But nonetheless, uh, their unhappy souls take on the form of a platy, which actually wanders through the region and it, it territorializes and is terrifying to people. It is you know, unusually large. And I would imagine if you've ever met a platy, you'd know. As we continue on, a couple other stories. We also have one other role to talk about, the one that I've been talking about since last episode, and that is dogs as sensing spirits. So I guess the whole point of this research was to eventually wrap up the, to the idea that dogs 
and death are related. We see that. Dogs fall into this category a multitude of ways. They are psychopomps. They deliver the message of death. They uh, cleanse death. They're scavengers. They are vicious and scary. You know, they they have all of these aspects to them. They are multifaceted beings. But a lot of these stories talk about the other side. So what about dogs on this side? And that's where we end up with dogs sensing ghosts. And the idea of dog sensing ghosts goes back forever, as far as I can tell. Uh, we have stories that go back to the ancient Greek, and this is Lucian. Uh, Lucian uh, talks about a man who recently lost his wife, and his wife manifests as a ghost. And she's very upset because in transporting her body, he has dropped one of her sandals, and she's walking around in the underworld with only one shoe on. And they have a little Maltese dog, and the little Maltese barks at the ghost and, uh, you know, helps to ward it off, essentially. And so our statesman takes a sandal and he burns it, and his wife's ghost never shows up again, and everybody's happy. But what I find very interesting is that the dog sends the ghost. Now, this is probably taken from other supernatural stories of shepherds who have animals that sense ghosts. Now, shepherds would have working dogs. And so Lucian is actually making fun of the statesman by saying, you know, you and your little Maltese, you know, uh, this little pampered pooch who sees this ghost. You know, versus these big butch, you know, shepherdic dogs that are out there and, you know, barking at the goddess Hecate, you know, the goddess of ghosts and witchcraft and crossroads who manifests. And uh, she actually has her own hellhounds with her or Ares who's trailed by, you know, the dogs of, of war. You know, it's, it's actually a cute little story. I think that's quite funny. As we move on, we find other stories. Ancient folks uh, did believe that dogs with light spots over their eyes were considered to be psychic or sensitive, and these were called four-eyed dogs. We actually pulled this from Zoroastrian tradition. I believe Gypsy tradition, Tibetan tradition also has this. But uh, the tradition of dogs sensing ghosts, now again, uh, we find... You know, basically my idea was trying to link up the Greeks, you know, through the Zoroastrians and through other cultures, you know, kind of tying them into the modern era. There are multiple cultures that report ghosts as warding off evil spirits and as sensing spirits in general. So what I love is that some of the ghost lore in the West is not always very well recorded. And there's a man by the name of R.C. Finucane, and I love this guy because he's one of the first scholars to actually take a look at ghost stories and to look at them scholarly and uh, I actually used his book quite a bit when I wrote my own dissertation it was just fantastic and I eventually bought the book for myself because I loved it so much but he picks up some of these dog stories in the 1500s and one this one I liked uh, there's a, a girl who died at the age of 16 her name was Catherine and the myth, uh, or the story, actually comes from about the year 1590. Unfortunately, she was a bit of a sexual mm, adventuress, shall we say. And because she did not confess her sins before she died, she was a rebel after all and still a teenager, her ghost actually started to manifest. And whenever her ghost manifested, the dogs would howl and horses would kick at the manor. Now, what I find very interesting, just for those of you who like these graphic descriptions, uh, when she appeared, she was putrid, and she stank, and her joints all emitted fire, and around her nether regions was a special belt designed to torment her for all of her naughty acts in life. You know, wow, now that is a ghost story, let me tell you. We have another story in 1663. A woman in Paris had an unearthly visitor at 11 p.m. at night. One of the shutters of her bedroom window opened by itself, and this was followed by the sound of rustling silk. 
Though no one had entered the room, her dog ran about as if crazed. A few days later, she learned that her father had died. The evening of the disturbance at 11 p.m. In 1981, a girl from Sussex described her sister's encounter with a ghost who stood at the foot of the bed and then vanished. The girl noted that the family dog was able to sense the presence, but they found no account of why the woman appeared. There's another story. I mean, this go all the way up to today. There's another story that I love of a man who did not believe in ghosts, and you know I love those folks. He did not believe in ghosts, but one day he was in a haunted place, and a ghost of a gypsy girl appeared to him. Now that would certainly change your mind if you saw one. Now, what I always love is people are very skeptical, and they'll say, and and、uh, they should be. Admittedly, if you have a paranormal event that happens and you don't question it, then there could be a problem. But he knew that this event happened because his little dog that he had with him stood stock still and stared at the spot and growled its hair on end. You know, it's it's interesting. I do find this very fascinating because of all of the reports that I've had about ghostly manifestation. If I ask about animals being on the premises, the one animal that is most commonly reported as justifying and backing up the human story is the dog, and I find that ties in so nicely to the beginning of the paper because it reminds us that humans and dogs are interrelated, and that. To a certain degree, of all the animals that we have, the dog is is the domesticate par excellence, and that if we doubt our own judgment, the judgment that we don't doubt is that of our dogs. I think that's fantastic, and I actually concluded the paper with some of my own supernatural encounters of dogs and the supernatural. My favorite still remains Odysseus and the mysterious opening door, which was actually taken at a, a building that we did not get released clearance to put up on our site. So I can't go into any more details than that. But they did report the doors would open on their own, and so we set up.、Uh, I set up a video camera, my own camera, and there's nothing like watching infrared video of a door. Let me tell you. And so I set it up, and it was framed, you know, to to capture the door and to see if anything happened while we were investigating. And we had left the room, and this was one of the rare cases that Odysseus and Achilles were okay coming because it was,、uh, you know, the owner was okay with pets, and I had been there before, and it was safe. You know, I did all my checklists. What I thought was really fascinating is that I I never force the pugs to go anywhere they don't want to go. So I had taken off their leashes, and the pugs were just going berserk.、Uh, Odysseus and Achilles are. About two years old, I think, at the time, and they were running all over the place, having a great time. And Achilles, I think, was sticking with me, but Odysseus would run laps through the building. So I watched the video, and it, it's nothing like watching a door, you know. Let me tell you. And all of a sudden, I'd see this little, I'd hear the huffing, ha ha ha, and this little pug would go flashing by, and then there'd be nothing. And I'd be watching the video for another five minutes, and then huff huff huff, and there's this little pug that zips by, this little black pug, by golly. Well, one time he actually stopped, and he turned, and he looked at the door. And as he approached it,、uh, he stared at it for a good—I think I timed it at 11 seconds—and then he turned around and he looked at the camera. And what gets me is that he looked at the camera, you know, and he had this quizzical expression. Now pugs are very, very expressive. They're almost empathetic. They really tie into their owners. And what they do is sometimes they'll—they'll kind of draw this one lip up. I call it the Elvis lip, and it means that they're trying to contemplate something. And you always have to watch for that. Let me tell you.、Uh, but it's—it's it's not necessarily anything. Naughty or wicked or anything like that, you know. They're not trying to get away with with something. This is this is kind of a genuine, you know. I guess the only way I could translate it is if we said, "Huh," you know, that kind of idea. And he looks at the camera. And he has that expression. He turns and he looks at the door again, and he walks away. And literally, 
three seconds later, the door opened by itself on camera, and it kills me that I can't show that footage. But we actually did go back. We tested the door. There's nothing to explain it. And I even showed it to the building owner, and he said, nope, there's no reason that should happen. So, you know, I think that this just validates the use of our animals to a certain extent. Uh, I do know that I think I trust my pug's judgment some days better than I trust anybody else's in this world, particularly as we're going kind of crazy in, uh, in 2010. But uh, anyway, there it is. So I hope you've enjoyed this segment. It is a little different. I hope it wasn't too dry, but... I just really wanted to kind of share that information with you, and to me, this explains a lot, and I think it really kind of furthers the whole paranormal pet uh, paradigm. So with that, I am going to go ahead and close this session. If you have uh, questions or comments, or if you know of anybody who'd like to be on the show, please send me an email through Pet Life Radio. I think that there's an email right on the site, or contact our wonderful producer, uh, Mark, and he'll get you in touch with me, but otherwise... Always remember to love your pets, support, rescue, and enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. Pet Life Radio presents Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Step into the supernatural world of pets every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.